What the science is showing is that ecological de degradation increases the overall risk of the emergence of these infectious diseases. And large-scale studies have supported conclusions that large disturbances are associated with increased risk of spillover. The number of vector-borne disease outbreaks that we're seeing is negatively correlated with forest cover. So what that means is that more forest cover, if you have more forest, it translates to fewer vector-borne disease outbreaks when you look kind of macro scale across a number of countries. Welcome to Contain This, brought to you by the Indo-Pacific Centre for Health Security, an initiative of the Australian Government, Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. I'm your host for this episode, Francette Dusan, Senior Advisor at the Centre. In today's episode, I'm back talking with members of the WISH Fiji project team. I'm joined by the Chief Investigator for the project, Dr. Aaron Jenkins, Senior Research Fellow in Planetary Health at the University of Sydney and Edith Cowan University. Dr. Donald Wilson, the Associate Dean for Research and Director of the new Fiji Institute of Pacific Health Research at Fiji National University, and Stacey Jupiter, the Melanesia Regional Director for the Wildlife Conservation Society. If you missed our first discussion with WISH team members in July 2021, you may like to pause now and scroll back to listen to the previous podcast. You can find more information on WISH Fiji and join the conversation via the links in our show notes. And if you are interested, you can also follow up on RISE Fiji, which is another DFAT-supported project mentioned in our discussion. The WISH project has succeeded in addressing water, sanitation and health issues using holistic and multi-sectoral approaches. In the face of cyclones and a global pandemic, it's bringing together environmental and health sectors with communities to change behaviour, reduce disease and increase resilience. I do hope you enjoy the episode. Aaron, last time we spoke about three months ago, um, and since then, the COVID-19 situation in PG has escalated significantly. How has it impacted your work with the Watershed Interventions for Systems Health or WISH Fiji project? Well, uh, thank you, um, Francette, for, again, for um, allowing us to talk a bit about our project on this podcast. Um, Certainly, COVID has reduced our mobility uh, significantly in country. Um, and during these periods where mobility has been restricted, um, obviously, we our field work, our data collection has been somewhat curtailed. Um, however, we have uh, switched over for our midline for some of our midline um, data collection, we've switched over to phone interviews. So um, where possible, we're doing phone interviews with co uh, community members. Um, and some of the questions uh, on our surveys have also changed to deal with, um, you know, what are the impacts of, of COVID on, on practices within the village and, and within communities. Um, so there's, there's those changes. Um, one of the things about WISH is that because we have established very good partnerships with many of the government sectors um, that are still active and moving around, um, such as the Water Authority of Fiji, for example, um, we're still able to get some of our interventions done for our work. So so 
particularly like installation of of new um, water collection and, and water uh, and sanitation uh, in the villages can still be uh, advanced because of um, our partnerships with government. Uh, also, nurseries we're starting to to collect um, seedlings for for reforestation work in the catchments that we're working in, the watersheds that we're working in. Um, we've offered assistance to the lab for for COVID testings. Um, and where possible, we've been delivering, um, working with the WASH cluster to deliver relief packages to the villages that we can um, get into or have partners that are going into the villages and then we put the packs together and and make sure that they get them. Um, those are a few things that I've just off the top of my head that have changed as a result of COVID. We've really seen the importance globally of frontline health workers this year, but we know that the health workforce consists of many, many different disciplines, including the environmental health workers or WASH teams, as you discussed, and laboratory specialists. As discussed in the last podcast also, we know for cyclone responses that it's not just health workers that are needed to ensure people's health and well-being are provided for. How important... Aaron, is it for different disciplines to be able to work together? Oh, it's absolutely imperative. I, I think um, one thing that we see, and I may have mentioned this before, but one thing is we see is that uh, that in a responsive situation where you've got a, um, a disaster in particular, you, you tend to get um, different sectors coming together and working together more around particular problems. Um, but then in non-disaster times, people and organisations tend to drift back into their disciplinary silos or their sectoral silos, as it may be. Um, so I think that uh, there are some processes that are designed for cross-sectoral um, dialogue and problem-solving that are built around disasters in particular. In the Fijian setting, we've seen the WASH cluster being a great example of that. And um, is that that does provide an opportunity for cross-sectoral dialogue and it does provide a, a, an opportunity for, you know, um, many sectors trying to solve problems. Um, but those, those particular forum or those particular places in which cross-sectoral dialogue can um, occur uh, are limited in non-disaster um, times. And so what would be good is if we can into systems at various levels, at government, at, at provincial level, at community level, that we can build these, these um, uh, fora for for cross-sectoral dialogue and problem-solving, um, which often don't exist. Donald and Stacey, what's your experience in uh, with this type of um, uh, collaboration and encouragement of cross-sectoral work? Sure. Um, hi, Francette. Thanks very much for having me. Um, I've 
been involved in um, many multi-sectoral committees in Fiji over the past decade or longer. Um, one of the best examples would have been the um, Integrated Coastal Management Committee, which was supposed to be looking at management from the tops of the mountains already all the way down through the rivers to the sea, which is also what we're looking at under Wish Fiji. And so it brought in people from forestry, environment, um, waterways, health, um, the development and transport sectors, all coming together. And, and we were able to develop a framework for how to effectively do integrated coastal management in Fiji to inform how this would go out. But the problem has been over the past decade or so is that that committee really has very met very few times um, and it hasn't moved forward because there isn't any agency with a legal mandate and the budget to actually coordinate across all of these multiple sectors um, and to pull them together and make sure that they're coordinating with each other and that their annual work plans are complementary as opposed to um, negatively impacting on outcomes from the other sectors. And I think that's what really needs to happen for us to achieve this sort of systems approach to management of the environment and for public health is that there needs to be a single agency tasked with mandate and budget to pull things together. I'll just follow on from what uh, Aaron and Stacy have uh, shared. Uh, and that is, um, you know, looking at uh, your question about, uh, for instance, cyclone responses. And uh, for COVID, uh, We've experienced that again with the, this pandemic, uh, and I think it's the same picture all around the world that the frontline healthcare workers can't do that on their own, uh, you know. Uh, and uh, when we went into uh, mitigation phase uh, of the COVID response, um, uh, it needed, in addition to the frontliners, uh, you know, the, the military, the police, uh, we, uh, it came to a stage where, in addition to volunteers, where government had to bring in uh, just other government workers as other public servants to assist with things like um, just awareness about uh, the infection, about the testing, about uh, the vaccine. Uh, so people had to go from, so these were people, for instance, who worked in the Ministry of Agriculture, the Ministry of, of the Civil Service, for instance, who worked uh, behind computers. Uh, those people had to go and do door-to-door, -door, take pamphlets and do these uh, awareness just to support the activities of the Ministry of Health uh, as far as trying to get uh, to people about uh, the pandemic. But then in addition to that, I think when we're looking at uh, other other uh, emergency situations such as cyclones, I think we've had our fair share of cyclones in the past. And, and uh, the bigger one was probably, so we've had one at the beginning of uh, 2020, that was Harold, but uh, even the bigger one in 2016 was uh, Cyclone Winston. And and again, with all the damage that we, the country sustained, obviously, um, you know, there needed to be a, a coordinating mechanism. Uh, so the National Disaster Management Office uh, took center uh, the NDMO and, and then all the government ministries needed to pitch in. But uh, without this sort of a mechanism, uh, if, um, you know, where a government does not invest in these structures and mechanisms, I think it, it always uh, spells uh, disaster or it worsens the outcomes. So uh, it, it's only in the best interest of the populations and the communities that there is a centralized mechanism uh, and also um, in, indeed for, for a project like uh, the WISH project. Thanks so much for that, Donald. 
Um, we know that one of the key issues also of um, importance for Fiji and the Pacific and, and in fact, globally um, is climate change. And um, we also know that there's a relationship between this and a expected rise in um, certain disease conditions. How do you work at the intersection of climate change and disease prevention at the Fiji uh, National University? Well, one is I think uh, the Fiji National Development Plan puts environmental protection, climate change adaptation and resilience at the heart of our vision, uh, you know, the country's vision for a cleaner, greener and more sustainable future. And this is also looking at protecting the our pristine natural environment and also that our economy will be made more climate resilient. So the Fiji National University in aligning with that and also realizing the UN SDGs, uh, you know, with the many components of it, we uh, are revising strategic plan of 2021 to 2026 uh, tries to embed uh, in one of its pillars uh, environmental sustainability. So that's in everything. And as an academic institution or as the National University, uh, we've uh, from 2019 uh, developed a inter uh, a degree, a postgraduate diploma and a master's degree in interdisciplinary climate studies. Uh, so that builds in uh, the different facets. Uh, so looking at climate change as a science, but also looking at the health impacts of climate change, which is which is a slightly difficult angle. But for for the health, uh, you know, the health angle or the health component of climate change, um, we're very happy that we've got now, these two projects, one being the WISH project, there's another one, the RISE project. But, you know, they're looking at similar environmental fact. They're looking at um, uh, the focus being water-sensitive diseases because these are endemic again to Fiji. These continue to burden our, our, our you know, our health costs. And, and so uh, these are really critical uh, for us um, as a university uh, to ensure that uh, we are promoting, we are pushing uh, for that agenda to ensure that we are training the health professionals. So the Fiji National University is not is, is the national university, but it also trains health professionals from the Pacific region. So we are trying to ensure that the training that we're giving, uh, you know, that we're providing uh, our programs uh, are current and that we are aligning to the needs and also to the global instruments and agreements. And also what we're trying to do now is, is create linkages between the research projects that happen and connect those back to the learning and teaching so that we are informing the training programs so that when students graduate or when they come out of the training programs, they are aware of evidence that is locally generated. So this is from research projects that are conducted locally. That's great, Donald. Uh, I can see that the WISH Fiji project is an active case study for your transdisciplinary learners. Um, and that's a, a very unique situation. Um, it'd be great uh, to see uh, some more examples. As you said, um, it's really important to have those local examples and within the region, um, I'd like to ask you now, Stacey, how you see in your regional role um, these uh, types of case studies, uh, what, what lessons can be learned or how could they be rolled out um, or what can the world learn from Fiji's management of these waterborne diseases alongside regular cyclones and COVID-19 as well as um, climate change occurrence? Well, I think... Fiji as a country has been both um, quite proactive and innovative in dealing with these kind of 
triple threats of the water-related diseases, the cyclones, and COVID over the past couple of years. Um, in terms of being proactive, um, you know, we've seen this with COVID-19 that the Ministry of Health and Medical Services launched a very rapid effort as soon as vaccinations were available to be able to roll out very quickly across the target population. And it's up over um, 96% of the target population has received the first dose so far. So it's, I think, one of the quickest rollouts in the world, as far as I can see. In terms of being innovative, um, you know, the, the government has endorsed and Fiji National University has endorsed and embraced these um, projects like Wish Fiji and RISE that Donald mentioned that is really trying to work at the interface of the environment and people in terms of um, how do we look at the interactions between people and the environment when we're trying to address these public health challenges, which relate um, to waterborne diseases, but they're also affected by climate change. And so we're trialing out these um, different approaches, the systems approach through WISH, where we're looking within a watershed unit and we're um, undertaking different interventions at different scales where we know both from the literature and from our own observations and practice in Fiji that there are different either activities or human behaviors that affect disease risk. And we're trying to reduce those by taking actions at the landscape scale, at the village scale, at the individual household and then human behavioral scale. And then with the RISE project, what they're doing is they're making some investment in um, new technologies through artificial wetlands um, in peri-urban environments and trying to track that over time um, and see how that reduces risk. So I think these are models and approaches that can certainly be scaled the rest of the world. Brand said, my other hat is, uh, uh, you know, as uh, in addition to the associate in research, is a director of what's called the Fiji Institute of Pacific Health, Health Research. And one of the things we're realizing in, uh, you know, in this uh, structure, uh, as Stacy mentioned, uh, one is uh, so we we were happy we established uh, because we identified that one of the gaps for us as an academic institution, as a health training institution for the Pacific, was a deficiency or a weakness in communicable disease research, uh, infectious disease research. So uh, with that, we also identified that the infrastructure and the facilities, the resources that we had were not able to support the Ministry of Health when it needed uh, support, for instance, for COVID testing. Uh, you know, if we had maybe uh, additional one or two uh, gene expert machines, for instance, we could have provided that support, but we didn't. Uh, and as a national university and, and indeed as a training institution that provides training for the larger Pacific region in the South, uh, I think we had that opportunity. Uh, but also being able to see that we also have the, the capacity to be able to ensure that when such a big, you know, uh, whether it's a natural disaster, whether it's a pandemic, that we have the capacity to be able to respond uh, just like any other country would uh, and with our own people and with our own resources. Yeah. Thanks so much, Donald. We've uh, touched quite a lot now on um, the incredible response and the analysis that's gone on to look for um, the gaps and, and key challenges that were there. Um, certainly the capacity building um, in terms of laboratory capacity and, and the health workforce as well would very much um, assist with um, pandemic preparedness um, if we were to be faced with this again. Uh, 
I'm interested now also in taking us back to a step to how the management of the natural environment and these nature-based systems um, interact, you feel, with pandemic prevention. So I I think the first thing to realise is that um, people have substantially altered the Earth's ecosystem. So over 80% of the terrestrial marine regions on the planet are substantially altered by people. And globally, only about 40% of forest areas still are reasonably intact. And what that means is that as people transform the environment, we are increasingly transgressing these catastrophic environmental boundaries where we're going to see system shifts into unfavorable states, pandemics being one of those, right? At the same time, globally, we're seeing increase in outbreaks of emerging infectious diseases. Um, among these emerging infectious diseases and among zoonosis, 72% of those outbreaks originate in wildlife. The rest are from domestic animals. And the frequency of these outbreaks originating in wildlife are increasing. What the science is showing is that ecological degradation increases the overall risk of the emergence of these infectious diseases. And large-scale studies have supported conclusions that large disturbances are associated with increased risk of spillover. The number of vector-borne disease outbreaks that we're seeing is negatively correlated with forest cover. So what that means is that more forest cover, if you have more forest, it translates to fewer vector-borne disease outbreaks when you look kind of macro scale across a number of countries. And we've seen studies that show that following biodiversity loss, there's um, an increase in numbers of weedy species like rats, which are significant carriers of diseases, for example, like leptospirosis, which is particularly prevalent in Fiji. So those are the main issues in terms of when we think about the earth is transforming, it's coupled with this emerging infectious disease. We know there are links between transformation in the environment and emerging infectious disease. So this points to, we need to be looking at better environmental management in order to stem these outbreaks into the future. Thanks so much, Stacey. And I might just bring us back to Aaron now because Stacey's really summarised where the WISH program began from and many of the interventions that you're doing, Aaron. uh, Really, it's uh, prevention of future pandemics, but um, also prevention of ongoing um, disease issues um, within the environment, such as uh, leptospirosis, um, dengue and um, typhoid. Do you want to touch now on um, how you're hoping the uh, interventions that are occurring will bring down these uh, three diseases in Fiji, just to wrap us up? Um. So, as you know, uh, um, the water-related diseases that are kind of a a primary target of our project are, are leptospirosis, typhoid and dengue, which are known as collectively as the three plagues in the Pacific Islands um, because they're so prevalent. And um, so, they, you know, there's a combination of, of water-related and, and landscape-related factors and environment and climate that are all driving um, incidents of these diseases. So, you know, in, in the, uh, the span of our work, we, we're trying to make these interventions um, at all of those different levels and 
document whether or not uh, over time we can have an effect on the prevalence of diseases within people, but but also importantly um, downstream ecosystem services. So so by acting within a watershed uh, context, by by working to restore environments in in a watershed, we can also have impact on downstream ecosystem services such as the quality of the water, such as the numbers of fishes available for people to eat um, and, you know, access to things like cultural services that they may have not had access to because of degraded uh, ecosystems. I think one of the things that um, just kind of continuing from what Stacey was saying, there's a whole bunch of um, studies, recent studies that that come out that have shown that um, the act of protecting protected areas and firstly conservation practice at a community level is is documented as good for well-being and as good for uh, community cohesion and so forth. Um, but then that your proximity to protected areas can actually decrease the amount of diarrhea, um, acute respiratory infection, and kids that tend to live uh, in proximity to, to protected areas have higher weight for age. Um, they're less likely to be stunted. Um, and there are effects of protected areas on typhoid fever, trichinosis, echinococcosis, anthrax. Um, so I think uh, there's a compelling narrative here to be managing systems as wholes uh, and all of the subcomponents within that for the multiple co-benefits that it can provide for society, including health. And um, so our wish for wish is to be able to have impact on both human and ecosystem health, um, particularly with reference to water-related climate-sensitive diseases and downstream ecosystem health within the catchments that were watersheds that were working. Thank you. Stacey, Donald and Aaron, thank you so much for your time. Our discussion on the Wish Fiji program covered COVID concerns, cyclones, climate change and most importantly, collaboration. The Indo-Pacific Centre for Health Security continues to support the project alongside Bloomberg Philanthropies. In this episode, we have been joined by Senior Research Fellow in Planetary Health at the University of Sydney, Dr. Aaron Jenkins, Melanesia Regional Director for the Wildlife Conservation Society, Stacey Jupiter, and Associate Dean for Research and Director of Fiji's Institute for Pacific Health Research at Fiji National University, Dr. Donald Wilson. Catch us in another fortnight for the next episode of Contain This. Contain This.